Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming out and uh, meeting with us today. My name is Matt Bond. I'm with Shipware. And this is Gordon Glazer, also with Shipware. We're con senior consultants there. Shipware is a company who deals with what we're about to talk about on a daily basis. Uh, we help our clients make the most out of all of their carrier contracts and get them to what we would consider to be a best-in-class type of shipping program. A little bit about me. I came to Shipware directly from FedEx. I was a pricing analyst at FedEx for about nine years. Uh, so I worked in the ma revenue management group, negotiating the other side of parcel agreements. So I worked for the carriers. Now I'm helping out the shippers do the other side of the negotiations. Gordon uh, was in, worked in the postal space and is an expert in the postal service. He's been in that business for about 30 years. Been with Shipware for about seven years, helping with not just the postal side, but also the parcel side of these agreements. And these two gentlemen in the front here, Lane Reinhardt and Connor Bevan, uh, they're account executives with Shipware. If you find today's talk interesting and would like to see a little bit more or get access to the PowerPoint deck, you know, feel free to drop these guys a card. They can help you talk a little bit more about our process and how we go about things. Um, get first into the agenda. And really what we're dealing with is a very challenging parcel pricing environment. It's very challenging for shippers in 2020 to negotiate their parcel pricing contracts. And that's what we're gonna to try to help you with a little bit today. There's a lot of steps that you could take to improve that pricing. And really the first one is coming down to understanding pricing agreements. And we'll walk you through uh, things to look out for within that parcel pricing agreement and how to better understand that. We're also gonna talk a lot about things that we call gotchas or things that the carriers include in these pricing agreements, sometimes intentionally to make them more complicated and drive revenue into their pockets and keep it out of the shippers' pockets. These are things like GRIs, which is the general rate increase that happens every year with both FedEx and with UPS. Uh, minimum charges, dimensional pricing, so if your packages are lightweight and large, they'll charge you a higher weight than what's in the box, uh, things like that. We'll also talk about how to get the carriers to compete with one another, which is very important in most cases uh, to, to get a fully optimized agreement. Uh, along the way, We'd encourage you to ask any questions if anything sticks out or is unclear. We want to get, make sure that you guys are getting the most out of this. We will hold Q&A at the end, but we only have about 45 minutes, although we will stick around after uh, and answer any questions if something does come up. So you'll notice year over year that the rising rates for parcel shipping happens very consistently. These are because FedEx and UPS are both public entities. They're in the business of making money for their shareholders and they're focused on margin. It was my job for nine years there to protect FedEx's margin and, and basically determine you know, what is the best rate that we can charge our customers uh, to attain the highest margin for FedEx. And that's really what, what you're up against. Additionally, those annual rate increases that I talked about tend to be quite a bit higher uh, than the CPI level would indicate. And they've also started to introduce intra-year intra intra changes, things like peak surcharges. Uh, they make changes to the dimensional rating sometimes. Fuel surcharges change intra-year, um, things along those lines. They've also gone towards uh, having service waivers in place. So if you've shipped with FedEx, for example, for 10 years, 10 years ago, it might have been easier for you to uh, claim service waivers. For example, send a priority shipment. It's supposed to be there by 10.30. It gets there at noon. Uh, if you have a service waiver in place, you can't go back to the carrier and say, I'd like a refund because this package didn't make it there uh, at the time I paid for it to get there. They're, they're entering more and more service waivers, and that's another thing that you need to be very careful on because it's becoming more and more standard. 
There's also other types of punitive language that we're seeing more and more frequently. And that, that usually comes in commitment language where they'll charge you a fee if you're not meeting your commitments or they do always have the ability to pull the pricing if you're not meeting those commitments. And early termination language. So they'll charge you a fee if you renegotiate or if you move your business elsewhere. And the really challenging thing uh, when you're negotiating these rates is most shippers have an inability to benchmark. It's very difficult if you go out into the marketplace as a $2 million shipper, for example, to try to find a group of your peers who have similar shipping characteristics, similar spend, and determine what they're actually paying in the marketplace. And that's one of the things that you know, we have access to a lot of benchmarks. We'll share some of those benchmarks with you today, get a better understanding of where you, you maybe should be in your parcel contract. The thing that they also have go, going for them, and there really are few, few alternatives. Uh, a lot of shippers are really either FedEx or UPS and don't consider any other options or maybe don't even have any other options. And we'll talk to you a little bit about you know, when those might make sense to utilize and how you might be able to do that. But in general, they know that it's a duopoly and they can protect margin because of it. It's also very challenging to compare the carriers against each other. There's lots of different uh, instances in their service guides where pricing will be different. And some of these are just some of the examples here. We'll actually highlight a few uh, accessorial surcharges of where the service guides differ. Uh, but these differences can come into play and can affect you negatively if you're not aware of them. So it's important to understand which carriers uh, have advantages in certain areas over others. There's also uh, service differences between the two. If you start a negotiation tomorrow and get through the process with both carriers, it's pretty likely that the sales rep for each company will say, our service is better, our transportation is faster. And they can both say that accurately because one lane might be faster with FedEx and that same lane uh, might be slower with UPS. So if that's a uh, an area that you're affected by, it's important to understand if transit time is important, I need to get this there in two days, maybe FedEx can get it there via ground and UPS it might take three and vice versa. Another thing to look out for. Carriers have lots of retention strategies uh, to keep you in place for a, a long duration. I like to think of this similar to what you'd have in a cable television contract in a lot of cases and how those have evolved over the years. They essentially try to lock you in for two years, three years, and they institute penalties if you don't stay with them for that amount of time. So almost all larger shippers are being asked to sign multi-year agreements they almost all have revenue-based incentives. So if you don't ship what they think you're gonna ship, you're ultimately gonna find a lower discount because of that. And we'll show you what that looks like in just a couple slides. I talked about this earlier, but there's more and more minimum volume and termination penalties. They also, from time to time, will offer rebates, especially if you're on the larger side. So that rebate might be administered quarterly, semi-annually, annually. And if you don't stick around towards the end of the rebate, sometimes it's difficult to get that prorated for what you did ship. There also, in every single contract, will be a confidentiality clause where they say, you can't share our agreement with UPS. So you can't literally go in there and say, here, Mr. UPS rep, here's my FedEx contract. Uh, this is what I'm paying. Can you do 10% better? I'll move over. The, the language in there prohibits you from doing so. All the services now uh, are becoming more and more bundled, so not just these ones. So LTL will show up very frequently. You also see things like supply chain services, FedEx trade networks, ground with freight with UPS show up. These 
these make them commit, make you commit your entire suite of services in some cases to or, in order to get the best pricing possible. So they really want the entirety of your business and they want it for multiple years and they want to penalize you if you leave. One last thing that they offer and we see quite frequently are these you know, so-called free shipping systems and technology subsidies. So you might see something in your contract that says you're entitled to $50,000 over the course of this two-year period uh, for technology. You're allowed to buy technology with it. Uh, and that's great, but what we find is a lot of times the value you actually get for that 50K is much less than what you might find for a similar price in the open market. And it also ties you to their ecosystem. So it becomes even more, more and more ingrained into whichever carrier provides that uh, shipping service to you, that you have to stay with them and make switching costs quite high to move to the competitor. And the final one here is carrier rep relationships. Uh, if you're with a UPS rep for five or 10 years and they've served you well over that course of the, uh, the time that you've been with them, it's very difficult to move. There's often a personal connection and we've certainly talked to people that have said to us, I love my FedEx rep and can't imagine leaving. So, they spend lots and lots of money on training their salespeople to make sure that these things do take place. So how do you actually start about reducing parcel costs? Well, the number one thing is you have to understand your contract. If you don't understand your contract, it makes things very difficult. Uh, we'll walk you through what that looks like and some of the things to look out for. I can tell you firsthand as a pricing analyst at FedEx, it takes a pricing analyst from the time they start about six months to become competent at this. So if you feel overwhelmed looking at a shipping agreement, you're definitely not alone there. You look at it maybe once every two years. We already talked about how they like to make you commit. If you do it in that time frame, it's very hard to understand what's in there. If you do get a nice grip on what's in your contract, the next step really should be data analysis. What types of weights are we shipping? What zones are they going to? What kind of surcharges are we affected by? And really get the idea of what does the total picture look like are we more commercial, are we more residential, things like that. Once you get the data back and, and sort of understand how your shipping looks, next, the next best step to do is to benchmark that type of data and that spend against peers. And as I mentioned before, and, and we'll talk about throughout, it becomes very challenging to do. Uh, but establishing a good benchmark is really the next vital step in this process. Otherwise, you'll just end up sort of guessing and what you should be uh, looking for. And we'll share some benchmarks with you as we go along. Uh, and the final step is actually doing the negotiation. So let's say you've analyzed your data, you understand the contract, and you've come up with a really, really solid benchmark. You have a really good idea of what a direct competitor with similar characteristics is paying, and it's much less than you are. Uh, just because you go and present that to the carriers does not mean that they're going to say, okay, well, this makes sense. These guys are getting it. Here you go. Uh, it's really telling them why this is necessary, why we need it, and why it makes sense for you to give it to us. Uh, so that description is maybe just as important as coming up with you know, what we actually need. The whole picture is, is very important in the negotiation. So we'll, we'll walk through the parcel agreements quickly. Uh, first, I want to talk a little bit about how the carriers cost uh, these parcel agreements and what drives their costs. Some of these things might be obvious, like the weight, the package dimensions, and the zone. Uh, you can use those to look up the price in the service guide, makes a lot of sense. The other things that may not be as clear is pickup and delivery density. You know, it's much less costly to pick up 100 packages in one location than 10 from 10 locations. 
Uh, similarly, if you deliver the 100 packages to one commercial location as opposed to 100 residences, the cost structures on those are very different and definitely will drive pricing. Uh, seasonality is a big one. If you ship all of your packages in December around the peak season, that's when their trucks are, are you know, nearing capacity, if not over capacity in some cases. So they're going to want to be compensated to take on those packages. Uh, conversely, if you ship a lot in the summer, your pricing can often be better because the trucks are empty. Uh, there's other things to, to think about as well. Claims is another one. If you ship something like a, a lot of glass or anything delicate and have a lot of service claims where they're breaking the things that are in the boxes, those become uh, negatives in terms of their cost structure. Anything that requires multiple carriers and special handling. And, and one that you may not think about is the actual sales commissions. Uh, the reps get paid on the revenue. So if you renegotiate successfully, the revenue that they're receiving is going to go down and oftentimes the sales commissions will go down as a part of it. So the sales rep who you've known for 10 years and you think of as an ally may not necessarily be uh, in it for you as much as you might think. One thing to take out of all this, and as we go throughout this, this uh, presentation, all of this and everything that we're talking about is definitely subjective, but everything is negotiable. Regardless of what you might be told by the, by the sales rep or by the carriers, Everything in a pricing agreement is negotiable. Um, I can't think of one thing that they won't at least hear you out on and, and, and don't have the ability to change uh, if it's necessary. So this is what an agreement looks like, and a, a fairly standard agreement uh, for a ground section. This is a UPS contract, and I'm going to use the example of you shipping a one-pound Zone 2 package. So it's as simple as looking up in that chart uh, and you'll see that you get a 25% discount for a base incentive, which you get regardless of, of volume. The next step is to look for your revenue base incentive that we talked about a little bit earlier, and that's based on the volume that you actually give either carrier. And this is what that would look like with UPS. So you can see there are six tiers here. Each one has a different discount. Uh, for this example, we're going to use tier three, and this is a ground package, so we're going to look that up at 6%, so your total discount will be 31%. And that's going to apply basically to everything down here. So uh, you'd want to look in the fine print, make sure everything's covered. Generally, it will be. It's not an issue. So for that package, you would look up the zone two one pound list rate, and you would see I should be getting a 31% discount, uh, unless your package hits the minimum charge. And we'll go into more detail on what that looks like later. Another way that they will incentivize you from time to time, and these are less frequent, but still fairly common, are re uh, rebates. In this particular rebate, uh, this customer is getting a rebate based off of their net transportation charges. So the example with the uh, base and volume discount was off of the gross or the list rate transportation. This is after that discount is applied. And the highlighted part you'll see here is this is subject to all applicable minimums. So if your package hits that minimum charge, your rebate, even though it says either 2 or 7%, depending on where you land, is actually zero. Uh, so that's another thing to look out for is how they're actually structuring these because it can look like you're getting a lot when maybe you, you aren't. They can get quite complicated like this example as well. Uh, to get the top tier in this one, you have to have 10 million in small package, 1 million in supply chain services, and 2 million in freight. Otherwise, you fall into the lower tiers. So the more complicated, uh, generally, they're trying to bundle the suite of services, keep you locked in. Thank you, Matt. You left me a little time. <laughs> okay, here we go. So there's lots of different ways this is mic working testing. Okay, 
So general rate increases are those annual increases that come every year. Uh, it's one of the ways that carriers really increase their margins. And uh, if you don't have a cap in your contract, then you're going to see that uh, the full impact of those changes. Um, and these changes just aren't to the net rates, to the, to the service uh, surcharges. Uh, they can occur at any time during the year. In fact, for example, this last year, they changed the trigger for additional handling surcharge from a 70-pound trigger to a 50-pound. One of my clients, that was a million-dollar impact. One of the things that we do is that we look at our uh, portfolio of clients and we analyze these changes and we notify them in advance and, and we help them mitigate these changes because the changes can happen year-round. This is the uh, 2020 UPS rate change and that red line going across the middle represents the average 4.9%. And the different bars based upon service levels uh, like these are next day air, second day air, et cetera. These are the different zones. And we can see that the increases are much higher in the outer zones, this last rate change. Here's FedEx, and you can see some similar activity going on. And unusually, on the three-day, where FedEx is significantly more expensive than UPS three-day, they took an even larger increase this last year. One of the other areas that was, we were really watching was SmartPost. Uh, and SurePost. Last year, uh, SurePost increased almost twice of what SmartPost increased. Uh, and so they were, uh, you can see, if we go backwards, you can see that uh, uh, this year, UPS really took it easy on the SurePost uh, because they had overdid it the previous year. And <clears throat> these are the cumulative impact of over the last three years uh, from some of the accessorial changes. And you can see on some of them, like the unauthorized and everything having to do with a large package, whether it's additional handling surcharge, oversized, those are the ones that got hit the worst. And especially during peak because they added extra charges on top of it. They even came out with a surcharge on top of surcharges. So if you have too many of them, they'll give you another one. It's like adding insult to injury. And as uh, Matt mentioned, all of these things can be waived or discounted heavily depending upon your usage. And usage is really important because you don't want to try and get accessorial relief if, if you don't need it. You really want to concentrate on the items that's going to be the most meaningful to you. I mentioned that they uh, occur throughout the year, and we're constantly watching these service guide changes to see what they slip in. And you're going to see some that have occurred uh, throughout history, like with the dimensional changes that were incredibly impactful to shippers. Um, so what are the uh, strategies to mitigate these? Uh, under First thing you want to do is you understand the impact. And you need to model it. You need to see how many instances and how much it's going to cost you. You need to benchmark it. What kind of discounts are other folks in your industry getting? And then negotiate at any time. If the ink is still drawing on your contract. One of our clients, we, we negotiated this amazing contract, and FedEx came in and said, oh, we're going to start dimming smart posts now, which they hadn't at that point. Well. We ended up negotiating a 999 DIM for them, which is basically took DIM out of the picture for the next few years. So anything you can think of can be done, pretty much. You don't necessarily have to take them. Um, and what we do is we try and make sure that there's protective language within these contracts. And when they make these changes, guess what? It's great leverage to go back and negotiate the whole thing at any time, because the carriers give you this wonderful leverage. Uh, don't feel like you have to wait till a contract is up. There's, there's, there's never a bad time to renegotiate a contract, okay? And we know from experience and the benchmarking that we do that the, the shippers that negotiate more often are the ones that get the best contracts. Squeaky wheel gets the grease, okay? If everything else fails 
and they can't get you the relief you want on the item they want, they can always give you that rebate, that deferred rebate. Now, rebates have a lot of hair and strings attached to them. You have to be current in your contract and you know, still shipping, and it delays your money like a tax rebate. It's not the best thing in the world, but it's better than the alternative, not having it. So. With uh, GRIs, the general rate increases, <clears throat> you can see here that uh, uh, this, this actually came, this, this study actually came from a live benchmarking study. You're going to see a few of these. At Parcel Forum, we give uh, clickers to some shippers, and they come prepared with knowledge, and they answer questions, and we tabulate them live. Uh, it's about $2 billion worth of spend in the room, and, and they're shippers of all different sizes and shapes in every industry you can think of. Ship, uh, carriers aren't allowed, by the way. And we get these amazing results, and we can see that what people get based upon their spend definitely doesn't correlate. But there is some correlation. We do see that the larger shippers are going to see the most relief. You can see some of the very largest shippers in the gray are getting that cap at 3% increases, right? Um, but you can see other shippers, there's, there's some back and forth. And it's the same thing with discounts. It doesn't necessarily correlate. And that's why benchmarks are a nice guide, but you don't necessarily, don't feel limited by them. Right now, it's an amazing time because the carriers are, are they're fighting for volume right now. FedEx, as you know, they divorced Amazon. There's extra volume in their, in their networks. They're parking planes. They want volume, and they are competing aggressively. So set the stage and make sure that they get a nice level playing field they can uh, negotiate against and, and give, them, give the non-incumbent a good chance to earn your business. And you'll be amazed at what can happen if, it, if you structure it right. Rate caps, by the way, can have an amazing cumulative effect. Uh, one of the calculators on our port portal, our client portal, uh, allows you to put in a spend, a GRI cap, uh, what the carrier's uh, actual increase is in your annual growth, and you can see what the impact is over time. The first year in this example is only 300000 in savings, but by year five, that has exploded to over $6 million in this example. That's with a 3.5% cap. So caps can have a very meaningful way to keep your costs low over time. Talked about this earlier, but minimum charges, especially for e-commerce, are going to drive quite a bit of the pricing that, that you're going to be looking at. And it's, it's a lot to do with the, the lightweight, uh, low zone shipments especially. And what they'll do is mitigate the discounts that you're actually receiving. So we talked about the zone two one pound example earlier with a 31% discount. And we'll sort of show you what that looks like uh, moving forward here. The other thing that the carriers do is they tie your minimum charges into the lowest weight, lowest zone for that particular service. In this case, we're looking at a ground contract, which is tied to the zone two one pound list rate, which is 823 and 2020. So any reduction you have will be based off of that zone two one pound list rate for the ground service. And the reason why they do that is so that they can increase it every year. So if they just said you have a $7 minimum charge, they couldn't increase that, but because they tie that minimum charge into that zone two one pound list rate for ground, uh, you'll see a higher minimum year over year, every year. You'll see the same thing next year and the same thing the year after that forever, uh, unless major policy changes in it, and it's unlikely that it will. This is what it looks like over a 14-year sample. Uh, you can see it's pretty aggressive. Here's an illustration of what that looks like. This is just the list rates uh, that you'll get out of a service guide, and this is what that would look like after it's discounted by the table on the right. So for this particular shipper, it's 46 to 49% for the ground service. 
Uh, if you were able to attain those discounts and ship with no minimums, this is what you would look, what your shipping uh, characteristics or your shipping rates would look like. And this is what it looks like after the minimum charge. So every red cell that you see here is where you're not realizing uh, the full amount of this 46 to 48% or 49%, you're getting something less than that as your actual discount. So if you're an e-commerce shipper, you ship a lot of light weights, say one to five pounds, you're going to be hitting a minimum charge in this instance for every single one of those. Same thing if you're a low zone shipper uh, and you have even heavier weights, up to 25 pounds, you're gonna pay the minimum charge. It can greatly impact uh, what you're actually spending. And as Gordon alluded to earlier, um, you know, we're really seeing some movement on, on areas like this. This is really one of the times that we're looking uh, to target this, this aggressively. Some of the strategies that we use, uh, again, benchmark, negotiate. You're going to hear that over and over from us. There's a lot of ways you could do that, either percent or dollar off. Most common is dollar off. If you have a minimum reduction, it's very likely you'll have dollar off. Uh, make sure that cap applies to it. You can actually get net rates if you are large enough. Um, I've actually seen a smaller shipper under 10 million with net rates recently. Uh, so it is possible if, if you have a net rate program, you're not tied to that list rate uh, annual increase every year because you have your own specific net rates. Um, they'll generally increase those year over year, but usually they aren't quite as aggressive. Uh, you can also do things like tie it to previous year minimum. So instead of the 2020 minimum, you can use the 2019 minimum. Uh, rebates, like the example we showed you earlier, can have the minimum charge waived. Uh, so that's another option. As Gordon said, rebating may not be the best thing because you let, let the carrier hold your money for a little while. Uh, but if minimums are an issue, that can be uh, some relief. Also, if you don't need the time in transit to be quite as fast, you can explore other options within the carriers like SmartPost and SurePost, which tend to have lower inherent minimums. Uh, the whole suite of, uh, of carriers is really available. Regionals, consolidators, postal service, all of these will generally be more competitive than FedEx and UPS on minimum charges. Speaking of that, you know, also look for routing errors. So if you're spending one pound shipments, take a look because those one pound shipments, uh, let's say smart post, really aren't one pound. There's no such thing as a one pound shipment. It's either under a pound or it's over a pound, okay? So if you look in your spend and you see packages sitting in the one pound level, you could save a lot of money. One of my clients was a $5 million shipper and we saved them $1.7 million just by moving their one pound shipments to the ounce based pricing. So, I mean, it can be really big. And that's one of many kind of mistakes that we're able to find for our clients when we analyze data. So, <clears throat> we talked about dimensional weight and some of the changes the carriers have made. And we're talking about not an announced changes, unannounced changes, little changes to the service guide that just show up. You won't even know it unless you go to the website. In 19, uh, excuse me, 2010, the, the, uh, the DIM was 194, and then they changed it to 166. That one little change added a half a billion dollars to the carrier's bottom line. And then just recently, they changed it again down to 139. <clears throat> Similar changes over on the uh, international side as well. And then besides that, they also removed what's called the ground cubic threshold in 2015. They didn't used to even apply DIM charges if your package was uh, under three cubic feet, all right? They eliminated that. And then they got rid of the uh, uh, 1728, which is the one cubic foot uh, in, in 2017. Um, and then, as I told you, it mentioned that FedEx now applies uh, the dimensional charges to SmartPost as well. So pretty much everything is dimming today at 139 uh, for domestic. 
And if you don't have, most, most clients negotiate something better. I have a client that hadn't negotiated in three years I'm working with right now, they're $20 million shipper. They had no dim relief because their contract was three years old and they didn't negotiate it back then. So that alone was a couple million dollars in savings, just getting them up to a 166. Um, so it, there, there's a lot you can do there. So here's an, what do we mean by dim? So dim has to be, you know, it's not the weight uh, cost, it's the dimensions, the volumetric size of the package, and we divide that by the dim factor, and that's how you end up with your, your the cubic inches divided by the dim uh, gives you your build weight. So the higher the factor, the lower your build weight, and the less the impact. And you can see the difference between these different dims and what it actually costs. And what does that mean? Well, the first change to a 194 uh, <clears throat> is an, almost a 90%. 166 is another 10%. You put the down to a 139, it's 13%, and the total is a 135% increase. That's a lot more than a 4.9% annual increase. <clears throat> One way you can check to see how your impact is is look at your bills the carrier detail invoice, and just click on the column at the very top for entered weight, and it'll give you a summary at the bottom. You know how many pounds that you entered, and you look at the build weight, and you see how much you've been billed. And that delta, that difference between the two, is very likely a little bit's going to be rounding error, right? So if you want to be a little more accurate, you can round up the entered weight, and then you take the difference between those two, and you'll see the actual amount that's applied to DIM. It's very easy to calculate. And you can break it down by service levels and so forth and really understand. So what can you do to mitigate that, uh, that dim impact? A lot of customers, they've, obviously they've changed their, back si uh, their box sizes. You can see that 58% uh, uh, of our, our clients that we surveyed did that. The next one was almost 90% negotiated something different than the 139 dim. The other things you can do is uh, you know, poly bags, uh, shifting to a cubic or a flat rate programs is another option that some customers do. And then if you do nothing, of course, you can just pay more. So we, we asked them, well, what's your current DIM divisor? Uh, what's your current dimensional threshold? And you can see some of the examples here. Uh, so it's kind of all over the board you know, in terms of what clients have been able to negotiate. Um, usually what you see is they'll negotiate something, and they'll give you some relief the first year, and they start stepping it down. It's real typical. But keep hitting them. Keep hitting them. So when the year comes up, go back and say, hey, we don't want to step down to that next level. We need to keep this. It's really important. And to keep you from going out to bid, you can pretty easily get that. Oh, a minute. So the next one here, and this is a big one for a lot of shippers, are the accessorial charges. And it's something that we see all the time that seems to be overlooked in contracts. As Gordon mentioned, the older the contract is, oftentimes the more overlooked that we see these things are. Uh, so it's important to understand how accessorial charges affect your shipment. Same zone two, one pound list rate that we've been talking about. The freight charge on that is $8.23. If you had a residential surcharge for the ground commercial network at FedEx, uh, a delivery area surcharge, maybe that delivery area is in a really far out place in a rural area. Uh, so that's an extended delivery area surcharge. Then you add the fuel surcharge. All of a sudden, uh, you're looking at more surcharge spend for that shipment than the transportation actually costs. In this case, almost $20 to send that package. So they can really add up pretty quickly. Wanted to show you this, and I alluded to it earlier. Uh, this is an example of how FedEx and UPS can differ uh, from service guide to service guide. And if you're, you're impacted greatly by one of these cells, maybe it makes sense to take a look at the other one. 
So in the far right column is where uh, one is better than the other. In this case, FedEx is better in a few, UPS is better than a few, in a few of them. Uh, notably here, UPS has uh, additional surcharges that FedEx does not have, the entry type 86, prohibited item fee, uh, rebill fee. These are fairly uncommon, but if you do see them on your invoices, like the prohibited item fee, for example, is something that is not allowed per their tariff. Um, so that can get quite costly, uh, rebills to a different um, account. They're rare, but if they happen, obviously, you might want to look at FedEx because you won't be assessed those surcharges. The other thing to note here is on the residential surcharge. So uh, a particular discount doesn't necessarily mean the same thing with both carriers, although it is very close. And UPS only charges one charge for a commercial or, a res well, excuse me, a residential package regardless of how you tell them it's going to be shipped. So if it goes residential, you're going to be charged 410. At FedEx, they actually make you tell them if it's a residential package on the front end. And if you don't do that and you send it in their commercial network, that fee is actually higher than it would be if you told them correctly that it was in the home delivery network because FedEx actually has a dedicated commercial network and a dedicated home delivery network. And they want their customers to put the package in the correct network. So you can see 465 if you tell them it's in the commercial network, and uh, $4 if, if you tell them it's in the home delivery network. So that can really add up if, if you're not um, paying attention to what you're doing there. And FedEx often will not, or at least be very resistant to discounting the commercial network residential shipment. Uh, it is something that can be negotiated. Like I said, everything's negoti negotiable. Uh, but it is something that they will resist on. So if you're affected by these, something to keep in mind. A big one over the last few years has been peak surcharges. You'll see that in this year in particular, FedEx and UPS have both come out, not so directly, but over the course of the increases and in what they decided to increase, is that they're taking a stance that they do not want large packages in their network. Uh, and if they do, they would like you to pay to have large packages in their network. And they especially don't want them during peak season because they're already at capacity and those packages take up a lot of space on their trucks. So if you're going to ship those during peak season, you're going to pay for those. Um, and the key thing to note about this is, for example, additional handling. This peak charge is in addition to what you're currently paying and it's not discounted by the, the additional handling discount if you have one. So you have to have a specific peak reduction and a lot of the, the clients that we see do not have these in place because either they don't know to negotiate them or there's been pushback. Uh, but this is another item that is negotiable. And if you see just from the bottom, uh, if you ship one package January 18 versus October of 2019 for the peak charge, it's like 122% increase on that surcharge alone. So they're really, really um, trying to get these out of there. But they are negotiable, and they are going to take them uh, if you negotiate them downward. So a few solutions here. The first thing you can do, and the best thing you can do in some cases, is just to avoid them. Uh, put the correct address on the package, and you won't get address charge corrections, for example. Uh, you can improve the packaging. So if you're very close to a threshold, 60 inches, for example, on one side for additional handling, if you can get that package down to 58 inches, uh, you won't get assessed the surcharge. If your weight um, is exactly 51 pounds and you can get that to 50 pounds, you will not be assessed an additional handling 
uh, weight charge, which maybe can be done through packaging. So that's number one, because that's better than discounting at all, because you, you don't get the, the, any fees. Another thing to consider are one rate, one rate programs. Uh, this is becoming more common with FedEx and UPS. They'll ship something across the country uh, for two days at one rate. Uh, no surcharges attached to that. And we're seeing more and more of those in the marketplace. They're pretty competitive. Some of them are very, very competitive. And they're actually allowing you to use your own packages in some instances. So before, in the old, older days of one rate, you had to use the FedEx box. Now you don't have to do that necessarily. Uh, and also consider alternatives, postal service, consolidators, regional carriers, if, if that's applicable to you or if that's something that you can do. Again, everything here is negotiable. So if you think it's not and they tell you it's not, it probably still is. So if it's really impactful to you and you can make a business case as to why you need it, uh, it's definitely negotiable. The third thing to consider is actually getting these to contribute to revenue bans, which we talked about earlier, the volume-based rev revenue bans. By default, they will not contribute to this. So if you're close to a new band or you want them to consider your accessorial charges, it's one thing that you could potentially ask them for. These are the benchmarks from Parcel Forum that we've looked at. This is fuel surcharge. And fuel surcharge is probably one that your rep might have told you is not possible to discount. Uh, it's not an easy one to negotiate. But as you'll see here from Parcel Forum, uh, it has been negotiated successfully by a lot of the people in that room. And we've certainly been successful negotiating fuel surcharges where it's appropriate. Uh, so you know, some of these are quite, quite aggressive, all the way up to you know, 51 to 71%. So it's definitely doable. Delivery area and residential is one that if, if you're overlooking, you shouldn't be because you can see just from the results of this in 2018, uh, very few actually got nothing on the delivery area and, and very few also got nothing for the residential. And we're finding, you know, as Gordon mentioned earlier, carriers are getting more aggressive. It's a very good time to negotiate. So if you're at the bottom end of the spectrum, it might be time to look at uh, things like this. And it's certainly what we've seen uh, working with our clients. Contract gotchas. <laughs> this is the punitive language that they'll put into the contract that you gotta watch out for. So it's, it's very one-sided, and we recommend really pushing back on this punitive language. Don't accept it in your contracts. Uh, minimum commitments and early termination. I've had clients that, oh God, I don't wanna negotiate because there's this punitive language. There's even some that says, even if you negotiate, even if you don't change, just the fact that negotiating can trigger this. I had one I just recently completed, and there was this awful punitive language, and we ended up getting the carrier to give them about a 30% discount, including a $75,000 signing bonus, and we got them to remove that language. You know, But yet it was there in the first contract. So don't be scared by it. It's more bark than bite. We've never had a client actually pay one of these punitive language things. So don't be afraid to negotiate, because it's sitting in there. But you shouldn't have it in there to begin with. You know, so when you do negotiate, you might mention that, hey, the other guy's not making me do this. You, can you take that out? Uh, Evergreen, those are things, portions of the contract that just keep going on and on, uh, generally not in your favor. Uh, accessorial concessions, oftentimes you'll see the accessorials uh, go away after the first year. Your rep's supposed to come back in and renew that each time. Keep an eye on that. But you can generally get them to extend the accessorial discounts for the entire term of the contract if you ask for it. Waiver of your right to file service claims. FedEx recently, with their new contract format, is defaulting to that on every single contract. Even the slightest change that you ask for, you better watch out because if you're not careful, that language will get put in there and you'll no longer have the right 
to file those service claims. And it's generally in your interest to do so utilizing a third party that's going to do all that work for you. You're going to save a lot more than the small discount they might give you for waiving it. Peak volume guarantees, contract exclusions, et cetera. We only got three minutes left, so I'm going to fly through some of these other slides here. So how do we get the uh, carriers to listen? Well, it's all about creating leverage, right? You got to be able to give them a good reason of why you need this pricing. You got to tell a good story, okay? Uh, and then you can kind of use the carrier differences to your advantages. So, you know, <clears throat> with FedEx, you've got uh, slightly better express rates. There's no late payment fees. Um, ground they, is a little faster, Saturday delivery for ground. Uh, Smart Post, uh, better pricing, and they are the largest LTL player. With UPS, their advantage is it's a single network. Uh, they've got the, the My Choice, which is a great program for the access points. Um, some of the pricing is lower uh, on, on UPS is listed here. I'm not going to go through it all. So what else can you do? You can lower your cost profile. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing to do. Literally, ask your, your, your carrier rep, what can I do to be a better client? What can I do to make my packages cost less for you to move through your network so that I can get better discounts? And it kind of changes the conversation. Right? So it's more of a partnership kind of a thing instead of you button heads all the time. It's a great strategy. And there are things that you can do. Uh, eliminating handwritten bills, using third-party automation. Uh, operationally, there might be some things you can do to help them lower their costs, uh, reduce claims if possible, improve your packaging, et cetera, et cetera. So are third-party negotiators worth considering? Well, if you feel that you've done the best you can, or you just signed a contract, some of the best negotiations I've ever done have happened right after the contracts have been signed, okay? Because you've already gotten everything you think you can get, and it takes, off, takes away that one objection that you're thinking about, I could get it myself, or I can get so much myself. And with the third parties, you know, they're going to try and get it, and they're going to want to share in what you can save. But if you've already done it, guess what? That's off the table. But the thing that the third-party negotiators can do is they're going to negotiate discounts about 49% better than what an average person can do or an average company can do on themselves. And there's been a lot of studies about this. Um, so most of us in this industry, they work on gain share. So there's no, in, there's no investment on your part. There's no risk on your part. They'll even do free assessments. And the beauty of a free assessment is you're going to learn one of two things. Hey, my contract is the best. I don't need to spend any more time on it because I've already done a great job. Or you're going, to be, you're going to find that like 9 out of 10 of our clients that we analyze is that there's money left on the table, and you can improve it, all right? And the other part is auditing your bills, okay, audit. Uh, we also can, you know, can pay claims for you. We can you know, help you on that side. And on the audit side, there's about 65 different reasons that you can collect, and it's not just service failures, okay? There's a lot of other things that we can collect on, address uh, corrections and the like. So in summary, Parcel contracts, hey, they're more complex than ever. And, you know, there's only two carriers, but the fact that there's two, you know, they're very fierce competitors. And that won't make it, you know, it's not going to stop you from getting really good deals. Um, they're very focused on margins. Uh, <clears throat> the key steps, of course, is really understanding your contract, where you are today, where can you go, what savings is sitting out there, what are, what, how am I going to get leverage in those negotiations, and to do it on a regular basis. This is not a once and done. This is a process, and you need to keep up with it throughout the year and do it every single year. And it's just like going and getting a doctor's checkup, okay? Um, 
get rid, make sure you don't have those, uh, those gotchas in your contract. Keep an eye on minimum charges and dimensional charges. They're more important than your discounts, okay? If you're not getting those along with your discounts, you're not getting the benefit of those discounts as we showed you. Diverse strategies to gain leverage, give them a reason why you need it. You know, and, and, and guess what? Keep your non-incumbent carrier close to you because they're gonna be your best leverage, your best tool, okay? And when it comes time, make sure you give them a chance to really get it. Don't just blow smoke, don't just use them. Make it a level playing field. Benchmarks and assistance is the other part. And look at this, 54 seconds we've made it, I can't believe it. This is actually an hour presentation, we got it down to 45 minutes. We'd be happy to stay around a little bit and answer any questions. Remember, we got Connor here and Lane over here. If you wanna drop off a card, we can give you the entire presentation. And we have a whole bunch of other uh, white papers and studies that we have done. Uh, please utilize uh, the resources we've done. What else is there? Let's see, oh, our name and numbers and everything. I wanna thank you very much for attending and we'll be happy to answer any questions. Thank you.